about funny stuff. Serious about food. Serious about anything that I'm in the mood for. Serious. Let's get serious. Talk to me, talk to me, tell me about your fantasy. Talk to me, talk to me, tell me about your fantasy. Talk to me, talk to me, tell me about your fantasy. Let's get serious. Hello, this is Kendall. You're listening to Let's Get Serious podcast. And today, my guest is Cameron Esposito. You're nailing it. That was perfect. I, I think you have a good name. I think you have a great name, yeah. I didn't like it for a long time, but... It's grown on me as I've become an adult. Yeah. With, you know. Why didn't you like opinions. it at first? Uh, because it's a boy's name or an ethnic name, and I'm not really ethnic and I'm not really a boy. I was thinking about, I was thinking about both those things, actually. That it was like a really there. ethnic and male name? Well, that, yeah, but what I thought was weird is, because I wrote your name on an index card. Yeah. That's what I do. With a f- just a few tiny notes, uh-huh. and when I was right, I never thought it when I was like saying it or heard it. Mm-hmm. But when I was writing it, I thought Cameron is usually a boy's name. Yes, until Cameron Diaz, I was oh, really terrorized as a child. But I never thought about that in in full context. I also found that as we were emailing back and forth, the details of like how you're going to come. Did here you start and stuff, to think my name is Carmen? No, no. Because that, that happens. Happen? Sometimes people email? know at first that my name is Cameron, and then after a while, they will, like, their eyes will. They, like, have this. They want of me to be more. Yeah. Carmen. Yeah, Carmen Esposito. I, but I also found, I feel like your name is very, um, like, it wants to be a full name. Like, I don't know if you... <laughs> What's it missing? Well, oh, you mean like, no, I mean, or you mean like you can't just call me Cameron? Like, I want to call you Cameron Esposito. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Because, that's good. I don't know, I guess it has a nice rhythm to it. It's serious, isn't you know? it? It's, it's a serious it's name. It's percussive, but yeah. not um, harsh. Oh, gosh. These are all really good things. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, so, anyway, I don't know if you've thought about these things, but... No, I definitely maybe, have. Yeah. It's, I think it's a good performer's name. Also, because... Uh, it really narrows the field. Like you have to definitely be on board with what I'm doing or know a little bit about me in order to pronounce my name right. And that's kind of nice in a really? way. I think, yeah. So why don't you explain for our listeners then what they need to know about you <laughs> in order to pronounce your name right? Uh, they need to know that I came over here slightly sick mm. and my voice sounds awesome. So that's good. And that they should they say should, Cameron they'll, Esposito. They'll yeah. figure that part out, though. Yeah. They'll know that. Will they with their ears? Oh, yes. Yeah. You'd be surprised what people can do with their ears. I know. Mostly. I'm constantly surprised. Are you? What well, are you? I liked your theme song, by the way. I really oh, thank wanted you. to tell you that. Thank you. Do you. Are you musical? Not at all. No, not at all. But I love theme songs. Okay. Yeah. I've had people create a couple for me. Theme songs for, for you? Like various projects I've worked on and that's always been my favorite part of the project. <laughs> it's always... Like whatever I did, like whatever I came up with was like, all right, but... Well, I will say... The theme song aspect. I mean, that good. like it's kind of like picking out the band name before you've yeah, decided exactly. who's in the band. Right. <laughs> but I do know, like even like with this podcast, I was definitely... The first action step was to make, this, make, a, make a song for it. Yeah. You know, like... 
like, well, I know I want to do this podcast. I know, I think I like this title, but I hadn't quite figured out exactly what the format or anything was, but I was like, I know, I think I know enough to do the song and maybe that will inform the rest. Yeah. You know, sometimes I, th- I feel like it has, have you had food people in here? Cause it says about food. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna just oh, that's good. Gonna sure You're doing some that. Foley work. Yeah. Um, have I had food people? I mean, food comes up. We talk about food. Okay. If you want, we could just talk about food. I mean, What's I love your favorite food. food? Uh, steak. Steak is really? my favorite food. Yeah. How do you like it cooked? I like it medium. How do you like your right. steak? That's how I like do it. Too. Medium rare. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll definitely do that. Like too. chef's choice. Chef's choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, medium rare. I also rare. make great steak. You oh, should you come do. over steak sometime. Okay. I'll make it. Steak really. party? Yeah, steak party. <laughs> what Do you know enough to know, like, do you know about different cuts of meat? I don't really. No, yeah. I should probably educate myself a little bit more. Here's the thing. I love to cook, but I hate to follow directions. directions. Yeah. yeah. So like I don't ever use. There's not that recipes. many directions involved with making a steak though. Right. But I mean like always. Okay. Like I never followed any recipes. I just make whatever I think I want to. I'm a. I'm about food like how some people are about music. I can't imagine composing a song because I don't know what goes together. Mm-hmm. But I do know what spices go together and like what vegetables How is that like stuff. a song? Well, it's like knowing knowing you what know the finished it, product will okay. be. Like composing, but you're just composing. You're composing like a curry. Your food. Yeah. That is a nice way to think about it. I'm not cooking. I'm composing my food. Yeah, that's right. Steak. Yeah. I could go for a steak. I just wanted to let us yeah. think of steaks for a minute. Which reminds me uh, something I noticed from seeing you perform. Sure. You really know how to use silence. That's great to hear. Thanks. I'm actually, I'm just, I just brought you here to compliment you for No, a no, while. no. Well, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you why that's interesting is, um, well, you, so I, I had an, a big audition recently for like a late night TV spot. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to do uh, the stand-up like that I thought that they would want for television because most of the stuff that I do is not super tight, set-up, punchline jokes. It's not like, my wife is so... And this is what her right. children, you know. So maybe we maybe this would be a good time to let people know that you do stand-up. I do stand-up. Yeah, I do stand-up. I'm a stand-up comic. That's right. Okay. Um, and I would describe, and I think what you're saying is that you're, when you're doing stand-up, it, you're sort of like a story stand-up person. Is that Trying to the do right that. way to say I that? Know, is that the, the technical I term? Hate the, yeah, it's a story stand-up person. <laughs> I, like, people might say, I don't know. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure out if I like the term storyteller. It's like kind of got a stigma to be like, I'm a storyteller. Yeah. But... I do tell stories in my stand-up, and that's my favorite thing to do. I also can tell jokes. But I brought that up because I was trying to tell jokes, and the the dude who was overseeing the auditions was like, you're not you're not um, taking proper pausing after your jokes. And I thought that was crazy because really? I was trying to like give them what I thought they wanted. But my point is I should have just done what I'm good at, which is tell a story. Well, what was his complaint? It wasn't like, was a he complaint. saying that was, was he saying notes. that you weren't 
taken enough of a pause? Yeah, you like that I didn't look inappropriately. Com- no, I wasn't taking enough of a pause. Like too, like I, did, I looked like I was too mm. stand up. Were you in front of an audience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, th- what you saw it is a storytelling show that I'm working on for the people that are mm-hmm. at home. Kendall came to a storytelling show that I'm working on. <laughs> I've, I've seen you twice, actually. Where else did you I see I saw you? you host the um, Chicago Underground Comedy oh, Night cool. when uh, T.J. Miller was there. Oh, sure. Recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like I've, I've gone to, I go to a lot of different kind of open, Mikey type things. And so I feel like maybe I've seen you even somewhere else before, but mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just because I also remember. Um, seeing you in press stuff for the TBS just for last festival. Yeah. And, um, I didn't end up seeing one of your shows then, but it was like on my list of, that seems like something that I'd want to do. But, um, now I know you host Cole's open mic on Wednesdays, which I mean uh, every Wednesday I have it on my calendar is like a it's like thing three blocks from here <laughs> you know. could fall and you could end up there uh, but that's probably what will happen <laughs> so that, um so i haven't seen that but i would guess that maybe that's similar to what you did at the tj i don't know i, I mean there's a lot of things we could yeah. talk about regarding all those things but um i guess the side mullet nation is the the show that i saw you doing just a couple days ago and you're doing that at um the comedy bar. Yeah. Right. Here. And so that in here in Chicago and river North, the very right specifically the named forest cafe <laughs> and the rock and roll McDonald's. Yeah. The rock and roll McDonald's is really close to, um, it, for those of you needing touristy points of reference, <laughs> it is a little hard to find the comedy bar. It's a little generically named. So it is a little tricky. They just relaunched with that new name. So it, I think they're trying to, Yes. Yes. They are trying to, yes. So, um, at Side Mullet Nation, which I actually didn't know what it was necessarily, because from, and maybe you can shed some light on I'm sure you can. Uh, I thought it was like going to be like a one-person show. Right. But it was a little bit more like um, you, you had guests that would come up and also do like little, their... I don't know how to talk about this. Are they stories? Are yeah, they monologues? Stories. Yeah, stories. I mean, stand up. Like funny. I mean, yeah. there's I mean, stand ups telling stories. Right, so right. they're they're a little bit stand up y, but they're not set up punchline jokes. Right, right. Which everyone should be familiar with. <laughs> but um. So. Yeah, but I think even when I saw you at the T.J. Miller thing, you, the, your style of stand-up is um it is very kind of like you're telling a story even even if it's like a short even the shorter little things that you did seemed very kind of like this is going on or this just happened to me or i guess i don't know i whenever i've had a stand-up on and we talk about this sort of thing i realize i i find myself kind of saying something ridiculously simple and obvious <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think but so. i but i do think there's something about um there is some kind of distinction about the difference between somebody yeah. who goes up and says a bunch of one-liners versus somebody who's telling more like story type stuff. Yeah, it's actually a well-established 
difference. I mean, it's not, this is not something that, um, and you teach comedy sometimes too, right? Yeah, I do. I teach stand up to women. So maybe all female stand up classes. So is there a proper terminology that I don't think there's a proper terminology, but I think that people, people that do stand up, I mean, there are really separate styles and especially, I don't know how much you, I don't know how much you know about stand up. So, I mean, we can go back as far as you want, but there are traditional, traditional brick walled stand up clubs mm-hmm. like Zany's here in Chicago as an example. Basically, when you see Jerry Seinfeld at the beginning of Seinfeld and he's like, what's the deal with? And he's standing in a spotlight in front of a brick wall and everybody's at small little date tables and they're the true drink minimum. That's the place that stand up was born. But in the 80s, there was this huge, huge boom of those types of places and they were like popping up in strip malls everywhere, and so tons of people started doing stand-up, but the number of clubs could not sustain an audience. So a bunch of those stand-up clubs started closing down. So then there was this huge amount of stand-ups and only a small number of spots at clubs. So Mm -hmm. people started producing alternative rooms like Chicago Underground Comedy. And my point in saying all this is now, today... Because there are like a bunch of different venues, theater spaces, Chicago theater has plays, has stand-up shows, so does so do rock clubs, so do like warehouses, so do bars. So it's kind of happening everywhere. So there's different people that work in different rooms and different styles that go along with different types of performance. So you and you're saying that the different styles to some degree are uh product of being in different kinds of spaces yeah and also like the type of person that would be natural naturally drawn to that type of a space anyway Mm -hmm. um this kind of answers your question about or not your question but i guess you were wondering aloud about side mullet nation because originally it was just an hour that i did by myself and it was very specifically scripted that's what I did over the summer, and I did it at the Playground Theater, which is like, I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you been to the Playground Theater? I've been there. It's super teeny. It's like a black box theater, and everybody, and it's BYOB. There's no wait staff. There's nothing fancy going on. and Just like a playground. Yeah. Just like a play, BYOB. It's, it's BYOB. <laughs> no sand, but yet. Um, no sand yet. Anyway, so... It worked in that space to just do like an hour of stories. People could listen and they could pay attention. And then when I moved to the comedy bar, um, it's like a, it's, it looks it, like a Saved by the Bell set <laughs> for a like, comedy club in space. Yes. It looks like the, the 80s vision of the future. Exactly. Yeah. In the future, everything will be silver. Everything. And yes. There'll be lights everywhere. All the lights are blue yeah. and Yeah. It's purple. really intense, isn't it? Um, but it's a great space, but it just doesn't, you can't like hold people's attention for the full hour. I tried doing it there. I tried just doing my show and it was like a big, it was hard. Well, it was hard on the just, audience. There's people like serving at the tables. And yeah. And there's kind of also like a, a more mixed crowd, which is totally, I'm totally down with, but yeah, it wasn't like 1 million, not 1 million, but it wasn't, you know, 40 kids all with the same haircut and we all... Came right from listening to NPR on yeah. our iPhone apps, you know. Have you have you done stamp in front of a million people? One million, yeah, 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 yeah. at the at the same <laughs> time. Cumulatively, I yeah, yeah, no, cumulatively, mm. probably. Mm. Anyway, so I felt like I had to change it a little bit. What did you think of the? I really of like listening to different stories from different people. 
I really enjoyed it. It kind of reminded me of, um, I mean, I've seen similar kinds of things like that, like right. even locally, like um, paper machete and stuff where people come up and, yeah. and do that. So I, I like that format a lot in that you get to see different um, different people all in one night, you right. know, in the different perspectives. And um, There was... You had you had sort of like a um, a topic of your you, that you brought back, like that you referenced every time you came up and talked. But I don't remember were the other people on that topic. No, too? they weren't. No. I didn't really specifically give um, them a topic because I know this sounds weird, but it's actually hard for stand-ups to tell a story. So I just kind of wanted them to pick. So the other whatever people, they wanted to do. Were there two or three other people? Two. Just two? Yeah. Okay, so, um, and what what were their names? Caitlin Berg and Chad Briggs. Okay. Now, had so the material that they were doing, was it very different than what they would normally do? For Caitlin, no. She's kind of a storytelling comic like me. Um, for Chad, yes. He's like more of a set-up punchline comic. Mm-hmm. So it was really a stretch, but he's a good friend of mine, and... Um, I just wanted to give him the opportunity to try something else. So Paper Machete is different in that, and I've done that show. That's a great show. They kind of call from... It's not from, a straight-up comedy show. Yeah, they kind of call from a bunch of different areas, and so it's been interesting to see what stand-ups were even interested. Some people I asked to be on the show actually said no, that like they didn't want to try to tell the story. Isn't because, that you, wild? because you specifically ask people to yeah. do like story. Yeah. Kind of stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. That is kind of well. I mean, I guess if people know, like, their wheelhouse. Absolutely. And yeah. They want to live in that space. I mean, if somebody asked you, well, I mean, I guess you were kind of talking about that, like yeah. with the TV thing, where it's a little bit maybe a different yeah. format than you're usually Absolutely. used to, and some people might just be like, "Well, that's right. not what I do." I know it was kind of. It was cool to see that people were not interested. What what did you do at the paper machete when you participated with that? Um, I wrote a piece about the. Do you remember that there was a giant class action suit that a bunch of female employees were taking against Walmart? Do you remember that that happened? Did you hear about this? I at kind all? of. That does sound vaguely. It was familiar. the biggest class action lawsuit ever. And they were saying it had to do with like. Uh, people being pay like, discrimination. Pay discrimination. And what's crazy is that, um, so it went before the Supreme Court because really you don't even have to prove that. Like, that's just true. Women don't make as much on the dollar as men. So, um, what Walmart was trying to say is, like, you can't hold us responsible for this because this is a cultural trend across every possible. Right. If this is the if this is America, right? Like this is what's to be expected. We're not. <laughs> and then the women were saying, like, okay, yes, that's going on, but it is inherently unfair, and so mm-hmm. this this should be the beginning of equal pay. And what's crazy is that the Supreme Court um, actually ruled against the the women, and they probably should have because the the wild thing about it is that if it had if the Supreme Court had agreed with these women, then groups of people 
that were only tied together by one descriptor. Like they didn't mm-hmm. even work in the same in the same stores. Some right. of them had different job titles. They were just all women. So what was kind of crazy is that something like gay marriage, that would have set a precedent where a group of people could have said, like, we're all gay and we don't have the same right as this straight person. Right. So it was a huge, huge case for a myriad of reasons. That's what I wrote about. And how did the Supreme Court um, explain their their ruling? Like, why did they... That a corporation can't be held to more than the national standard. Right. Like, that they can't be held responsible for cultural change. Right. Because I guess the argument could be made that there are other factors involved beyond anything that Walmart is doing. Well, I mean, it could go either way, right? You know, because right. some of the women were saying it was very specific climate to what's going on there. I guess the, the question is, the question was like, do you hold somebody responsible for this ever? Or is it just, do you just let it go until it works itself out? Mm-hmm. And that was the question. And it's kind of interesting because it hadn't really come up in such a huge way before. But I mean, that could be true for any, like it could be true for like the education gap between black and white students. Like, do you ever hold? So it, it, that was why it was such a crazy big case because. Because of all the implications. We could, yeah. Yeah. Groups of people could have sued for all of the things that are wrong or inherently unequal. So the paper machete is a very, I mean, it is like a political kind of, Show I had only way. been the one time. Have you been yeah, other been, times? Oh, in? yeah, I've gone a lot. It's, I and really, is it I always really like political? It. I would say it, it often deals with politics and a lot of times local issues. Mm. Uh, I mean, maybe politics isn't quite the right word, but it it talks about... Like social issues? Yeah, social issues and, and a certain amount of politics. So um, it sounds it sounds like what you're talking about would you like that story that you gave there? Would you also tell that same kind of story in your stand up? No, 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 no. Um, I mostly tell stories that are just from my own personal experience as opposed to, and this is true about, this is true for most of my jokes too. There it's more things that have directly happened to me than bringing in like things that I've read. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do that, but I just don't, I don't know for some reason. It's not my, it's but not what I want to talk about. It seems, I mean, you do talk about like social issues. in Right. Your... Yeah. Yeah. I guess I just wouldn't expand it maybe to. Talking about this thing that other people this are dealing case. with. Yeah. Like, and I think uh, that's actually, I don't know, maybe it's the differences also. That's kind of what I do in my personal time is like, I'm really interested in, uh, like I was reading about that that case just separately just hearing about it and researching it just because like this, it wasn't like that's what i do with my time yeah <laughs> is i just like research nonsense so well, that i can find out more about I mean, you're interested in the human condition yeah that's what i'm thing. trying to say i'm interested in the human condition i also want to research like terrible movies i want to just research i just want to <laughs> it's know, not all noble <laughs> i just want to know lots about special effects in sci-fi television mm-hmm. shows i don't know just but then I don't, that's not often what I talk about, because I often just talk about interactions that I have with people. Special effects in, man, special effects are so much more boring now to talk about, because it's all just, oh, I did it in a computer. 
Yes, except, did you know this? Maybe you did because you're a design you're a design guy. You went to art school. Did you know that uh, the dude who created Photoshop was also... Jimmy Photoshop. Yeah, Jimmy Photoshop. Mr. Fo- Mr. Jimmy Photoshop. <laughs> well, you yeah. forgot Lord, sir. <laughs> yeah. I think he's been knighted. It depends. He, uh, he was on the team that created the special effects in the movie The Abyss and Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. And those were groundbreaking sci-fi movies where they sure. did... Good. They created... Morph. Humanite. Yeah, they used yeah. morphing technology and they created like humanoid water characters. Those like liquidy... They both have liquid characters in them. Mm-hmm. And he actually was using Photoshop to make that, but it wasn't Photoshop yet. Like he was just, it was just his oh. personal program that he was using. Yeah. And then he eventually launched it and put it out into the world. And now we can use it on our cell phones. Yeah. Like the most groundbreaking, expensive technology of the time we have. That's how it works. Isn't that awesome? Though? And we take it it's for cool. granted and think, yeah. And get mad that it doesn't do and, even better stuff. And that there was a guy that was but going I get, like, so, I'm making this. So my statement earlier, what I really mean is, I, I mean, I I do think, you know, computer generated. Like, it is interesting and complex and fascinating in its own way. But anytime you see a movie or anything now, anything that you see that you can't, that yeah. your brain doesn't understand, right. you just think, oh, they did that in a computer. And it used to be when you'd watch a movie, you'd think, how did they make that gremlin do that? I know, and it right. wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it almost like takes away a certain level of... Um, it's not like milk instead of vomit or right. like, yeah, strawberry juice instead of blood. Yeah. Strawberry juice. I don't know. I made that up. So, okay. It's true. But it's, there's, there's crazy, there was, there were crazy things happening. The chest burster scene in Alien. <laughs> if yeah. you watch How do they do that, that? It's a dude. There's a dude. So if you watch that, which I'm sure you should all pull this up right now, there's a, what's funny is that. Everybody in that scene has to look so serious and so frightened, but there's like a, a an alien on a stick, yeah. and there's a guy holding the alien on the stick, being like running, running and, away with the alien. And I would say that, and everybody has to be like, "This is really serious." I'm gonna say something, and then, but at the same time, I'm already thinking maybe I disagree with it. That today's audience seeing alien for the first time wouldn't be as freaked out by that exact same thing even if it looked exactly the same because they'd be like oh they did that with a computer versus how what is this that i see yeah i mean i totally you know like there's this psychological thing of you can do anything now so anything that you see i mean you still can be wrapped up in the storytelling and ultimately you shouldn't be thinking about the technology and all that anyway but yes you should are you kidding me you're talking Later, to the wrong gal for that. I I mean, I am obsessed with filmmaking, like like analyzing how films are made and technique and stuff like that. Yeah. But I find that my favorite movies, I when I'm seeing them for the first time, I will realize I'm not paying any attention to how they're how it's edited, you know. Yeah. Whereas in a totally. horrible movie, I often <laughs> I'm thinking like. Why are they cutting there? Why is the camera doing this? You know, like because I'm not because I'm not engaged by the storytelling, you know? Yeah, I guess I'm just also kind of a little bit of a goon in that like I just 
it makes me so happy. I love seeing things that are visually splendid. So I have to, I'm like the worst person to see a movie with because I will turn to everybody that I'm with and be like, are you seeing this? <laughs> are you seeing what they're doing? Yeah. I have a really hard time getting lost in movies. When If I shut up for an entire movie, that's like a really big feat. But does, what does it mean if that happens? Does yeah, it mean that I mean, you don't that, like it as much? No, it just means like that's the best movie I've ever seen. Okay. Usually also probably maybe it's like sad or really like poignant or something. Because yeah. if like an action movie, I'm always yelling, even if I love it. <laughs> I just, I can't help Yelling it. at the screen. Just stuff. yelling, just like, just, just joyful like exclamations. <laughs> I see. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> well, maybe, um, maybe this would be a good time to play a track from your stand-up you recording. Do it. Yeah, you should do it. I'm dying to hear myself. Album. I've been, I haven't, how long have I been here? Like half an hour. I haven't listened yeah. to myself. In a whole half hour. Well, actually... I listened to myself the whole way over here. And you've been... I mean, you have headphones on. Yeah, 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 You're yeah. listening to no, yourself. No, you're right. I'm listening to myself. In a way, we're always listening to ourselves. Sure. Even if it's just the blood pumping through our veins. That's beautiful. Is it? All right, I'm going to play... Um, so, you put out a CD or an album or um, maybe multiple formats. Vinyl. It's just an album. Okay. Yeah, it's a um, CD and... It's called Grab Them Aghast. That's right. <laughs> and... Um, Rolls trippingly off the tongue, doesn't it? Yes. It's got a great photo on the... Who took that picture? Who took that picture? Monty Lamonte. Monty Lamonte. Making up names just to see no, if I'll repeat them. Okay. That's real friend. <laughs> um... <laughs> And uh, the track we're going to listen to is called For the Best Time, Call Cameron. For the Best Time, Call Cameron mm-hmm. from Grab Them, I guess. Cameron is, yeah. You guys ever go into the bathroom and you're like, seriously, this many people have Sharpies on them at all times? <laughs> and got here before me? When I find myself in that position, I take out my Sharpie and I'll cross out all the other names and numbers on the stall. And I'll write my name in the top of the stall. Like, I'm the queen of the stall door, all right? Like, for the best time, call Cameron. And I'll put my phone number. And then when that person calls, I'll, like, take them go-karting or something, you know? Because isn't that the best time? So fast and no danger. I love it. All right, there we go. I like that. Joke. The best time. It's a good. That's a good one. I just like the go karting part. It's a good, It is, and you. It again. It's all about the, the timing there. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty pregnant pause. Yes, the best kinds of. It's my favorite kind of pregnancy. Yeah, right. Mine too. <laughs> it's also the only kind I can have really? or create. Well, yeah. Science. Nature oh, finds a way. No. Yeah, I mean, true, but not with this body. It's going to have to find a way with someone else. I have had a similar... This is my... I, I had not heard that until just this moment. Mm, mm-hmm. And um, I don't mean to divert it back to me. Please. But I have a very similar observation about homeless people with their signs. 
I am always thinking, where did they get a Sharpie? Yeah. Like, I can't, oftentimes I'm looking for Sharpies and can't find them. I think that's the first thing you save up for. It seems like, from what we've seen on the street. <laughs> save up for? Yeah. They get the, okay. Panhandling, you get your first dollar fifty. you can go buy Are a Sharpie. Are Sharpies, like, a valuable commodity in the homeless market? I don't know enough about the Sharpie Corporation or how people make those signs, but it's true. It is, it is always a real, it's, it causes me to be flummoxed. Yeah. Just want to use that word, I guess. It's a good word. (laughs) Do you find, um, I took this like strength test recently at the place that I work, um, where you had to like answer all these questions and then it told you what your strengths were. And what did it tell you? Well, it told me I'm very analytical and all these things that on the surface don't seem very creative necessarily, but then I came to terms with it and I realized that (laughs) it is, you can be strategic and analytical and still creative at the same time. I've done that my whole life. Um, But there was, I bring it up because there was this, um, at one point it said that I probably enjoy using... Um, uh, properly using this is so ironic like words <laughs> large large words yeah or like you know like when you find a word like flummoxed mm-hmm. for example that you take kind of like a little a little joy in and using it in proper context. Do you find you that know? to be true about yourself? I think it is. But I was trying to think of examples. Um, because there are certainly words in my vernacular that <laughs> <laughs> that I use a lot and, and probably might... I don't know. It's weird to think about like how people might react. Do you think you're off-putting? I don't. I hope not. Because if you're bringing because glasses I'm, I'm not tr- your, Yeah, I know. I'm not trying... I mean, I'm not trying to be... I'm not trying no, to show off. I think it's off. awesome. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, were you a big reader as a kid? Oh, yeah. I, I think, think that's the difference. I honestly do between people that... Th- there are tons of like really functional, awesome people who were not really into reading when they were kids. And yeah. I just think it, your vocabulary is enormously affected for the rest of your life. Actually, when I was little, like in grade school, little, I would read all the time. And, um, at one point I had this, like, um, I don't know why I'm telling this story, but I had this like, um, like not like a rash, but like almost like little bumps on, on my, on the palms of my hands when I was really little. And I remember being at this doctor and the doctor's like looking and I'm like, yeah, I got these little, like in the crevices, it was like dry skin, you know, like. I think it was just from nerves or something. And so I'm like talking about it. And then the doctor goes, do you read a lot? And I started freaking out because I was like, oh no, this is caused by reading. (laughs) Reading has caused bumps (laughs) to form on my hands. And I was like, what? And she's like, no, you just, most little kids don't use the word crevice. (laughs) Crevice. Yeah. You, I, I think it you really got thrown there, huh? Yeah, I. So I guess maybe it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you say flummox, you're not trying to show off. 
necessarily. You might be. Sometimes no, you might be. not always. But, but a lot no. of times you're just like really happy that there's a word that accurately describes what you're trying to express in yeah. an economic way. Also, different people use different modes of expression. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, art school graduate. Like mitigating speech? Um, or for instance, my girlfriend doesn't... She rarely uses large words, but she is really great at characters and affecting her voice in conversation. She does it naturally. It's not weird. It like really works. It's funny and mm-hmm. interesting. Um, and I don't do that at all because I have like the words to describe the but thing you that do, she's doing. You do use your voice as sort of like in like a characterized way sometimes, I think. Did you find that in when you when you've when you watch me, you thought mm-hmm. that I changed my voice a little. I mean, well, I guess no, I do a little a bit, lot, but I'm not like. But there's great like at there it. is sort of like a mode you kind of go into. I think mm. sometimes where you're like a little more over the top or expressive in a certain way. I think, sure. That. Um, actually, that was one of the things I want to ask you about. If that was something that, like, you were aware of or having a slight about. affectation. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I do. Um, I don't know what it what it is that causes that. Like, I think I make my voice a little bit deeper. And I think I make my voice, like, a little bit higher when I'm excited. And I, and I do someone, think that you it... You almost do, like, a slur. It like, you almost start to, like, slur together a little bit. Wow. That sounds... Bit. I sound beautiful. No, that's great. Uh... Do you, well, I have a question. <laughs> Does it sound, like, super put on, do you think? Or a little bit put It on. seems natural to me, but it seems, I mean, it it does seem like you there's something different. Different. I, but maybe I should back up and say that when I, I feel like your delivery is extremely natural in that I really believe, um, I believe you're like in the moment, you know? Oh, that's cool. And even though you're telling a story that you clearly have told before, it doesn't feel that way. And I did see, there was one of the stories that you told um, at Side Mullet Nation. I had also seen you do one other time. And so that one was when I was really trying to be like watch and, and think like, because I already had heard you tell the story if it seemed, cause I was like, well maybe the other time was the first time she told it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was the one about, um, going to universal studios. Right, right, right. And I thought, I mean, it worked. Your performance seemed just as genuine to me the second time as the first time. Oh, so then I'm cool. like, so she's lying all the time now, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like there is like a, you have, um, I, I think any, what I've realized from seeing lots of stand up is that or really any kind of comedy is that a lot of it comes down to whether or not you like just if you like the person, if they connect with you. Yeah. So I think you're right about y- that. You know, like some people are gonna think that um you know, any comedian like some people are gonna just like latch on and be like, This person's funny, everything they do I like and other people are gonna be like, I don't think they're funny at all and it's such a it's a subjective thing, so there's no yes. person who's right necessarily. But I think so much of it just comes down to 
whether there's like an essence to the person or something, but also, or that X factor, whatever, yeah. right? But there's also, I've noticed like the comfort level because right. I feel like if, if the person on stage is really uncomfortable, um, it makes it hard to enjoy it. Well, I think that one part of that is that nobody ever goes to a comedy show to laugh at somebody. People will go to laugh with somebody, but the second they start to feel like you're out of control, mm-hmm. the audience will actually back off because they know. start to feel embarrassed or nervous for you. Right. So I do think that that's part of the confidence thing. Is that like I don't know if you you know yeah. a comic who's faltering, um, you want to help them, but you don't know how, and laughter doesn't seem appropriate. Right. If they're faltering, then you don't want to laugh. Yeah, because, because it's you... confidence that we respond to in that way. Right. So it, it is like a, it's a, it's such a, it's such a trap, right? Because the one thing that could take that comic out of that would be more laughter, but you can't laugh at somebody who's, yeah who's, um, who needs it. That's it. They need it the most. And yeah. You can't, you give can't it laugh them. if somebody looks like they really need you to laugh at them. You just can't. Hmm. The trap of being a comic. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta look like you. But you know, the other thing is, I think looking like you're, like you are actually having fun, not just that you're confident. That's what works for me. Different people are into different stuff. Like yeah. some people really like, um, I don't know, like soul effacing. Yeah, it just depends rough because comics. You, but it, you know, nobody thinks it doesn't look like Stephen Wright's having fun, but he's hilarious because yeah. it's like he's in on the joke, or it's like. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mark Maron isn't having fun up but, there. <laughs> but Stephen Wright, I actually would put in a different category because he is doing like a caricature and his, whoever Stephen Wright is, he's separate from that. Like his little inside part. Uh, maybe. We it has know. to we be. We don't know. Maybe he only speaks in those like one sentence. Yeah. I mean, maybe, yeah, that's how he orders all of his food and that's how he conducts all of his relationships. Yeah. I'd like to think that. Yeah. He performed at the Just for Laughs. Did you get a chance to see him? Yeah. He was That's really, amazing. I, didn't, uh, I, I only heard that people got a chance. Yeah, Louis C.K. Right, he brought him out. out, yeah. And it, it, was, it, was, it was really nice to see because he's one of those guys that like, I remember seeing on TV growing up and thinking, I, I, he may be the first stand-up that I ever was like really interested in stand-up comedy because of like I thought, not that I ever tried it or even want to do it, because I don't, but, um, I remember kind of like, he was the gateway to me being interested in comedy yeah. in that, in that kind of comedy. I don't know why he must've like broke through the culture in a certain, at a certain time or way mm-hmm. that I was exposed to, but he's someone that I didn't really think about for ever. Right. <laughs> so it was kind of like a nice surprise for him to come out and, and be reminded like, Oh, this is what happens. Did he rock it? He was really good. Yeah. It is. It's like a weird. It's his style is so different from most of what you see today. So yeah. Even even, people that try and be like that, actually it's hard because it's like he already did it and Mitch Hedberg already did it. You almost can't. Right. But like even Mitch Hedberg, like his, he had kind of a different spin yeah. because his tone is so different right. and his like, he's a little bit like cockier and yeah. And or like, dopier. 
or like even I guess you could even say like Dimitri Martin kind of is doing similar type mm. of mm-hmm. w- not with his drawings and songs and stuff, but more like his, just his jokes. Yeah, are kind of in that same area too. But he's got his own kind of like in a way, it's almost like they all have kind of characters behind those kinds of joke telling. So do you think that you have like a character? Um, what are your, all of oh, my your technology are, is going on. All Who's popping. chatting to you? I'm trying. Sorry. No, that's okay. You should talk to them. No, Tell they can wait. Over. This technology is, it's on my terms. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's, that's actually really, I don't think you know how inspiring that just was. Well, if only it were true. <laughs> yeah. I, I really wish I could say that to technology all the time. Um, yeah, Character. I got your last 15 texts. I'm just not texting you back. <laughs> That's what I want to say to everybody. Because uh, I'm doing something. You could do an autoresponder, probably. I didn't even know that was an option. Yeah, probably. Oh. If not, they, is it gonna someone say, should invent that. Yeah, is it just going to say... Please stop texting me. But then the problem is if you tell somebody to stop texting you, then yeah, you like upset. really need to text them. People, Yeah, it's very... People take it real personally. Mm-hmm. It is real personal yeah. in this case. I hate everybody. <laughs> oh, man. No. Oh, do I have a... I think I don't have a character as much as a persona. I think everybody has like a little bit... I mean, you're just a little bit different on stage. What I think what you're going for is to be as honest on stage as you possibly can, even if you're doing a character, just like really honest in that character, I think that most people don't start as honest as they eventually end up. Mm-hmm. Because you're trying to figure out what's funny, you know, how big do I really need to be, like shave off the layers of you know, like how obvious do my jokes need to be, and then you get more and more and more specific. And in becoming more and more specific, you actually, I think, have a broader appeal. Because you're just like this interesting, fully formed person. Right. Um, How long have you been doing stand-up? I've been doing stand-up for five years. But I That's did, not even really that long. It's not long at all. Yeah, it's super. I'm super baby. What yeah. made you start? I was doing improv professionally. That's the thing here. Yeah, I was doing it in Boston, uh, which is where I went to college. And I started doing improv in college. And I was doing it professionally after college at some theaters out there. Um, and were you good at it? I was good at it. Yeah, I was, I was good at it, but I didn't have the proper training. So like right after I got, right after I graduated. Are you saying professional improv in Boston is different than professional improv in? No, I just didn't, I had never taken a class. I'd never studied improv. I had done like short form improv in college, which is like, whose line is it anyway? Like, give me a hat and I'll make a pig noise. You know, like it was just really dumb stuff. And I, I think I was pretty funny or charismatic or whatever it was. So when I was 22, I got cast in this theater company in Boston. It's like the biggest improv theater there. It'd be like, it'd be like second city main stage. Cause I did six, I did shows six nights a week, but I had another job. Like I just didn't, I wasn't really, like devoted to it, and I also had never studied. I didn't know what I was doing at all. And most of my, all of my castmates were like in their late twenties or early thirties, and 
they had like families. I couldn't relate to anybody. I like missed photo shoots because I just forgot about them. Like I was, I was a total mess because I was 22 and I ended up getting fired from that job because I just shouldn't have, like I didn't know what I was doing. Just for being irresponsible? No, no, just like I wasn't, I wasn't ready to be on stage. Like I was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were really nice. They were like, you can stay with us and we'll train you and you can go down to the like B team cast and do two shows a week. And I said, that was really weird. You know, you've already been, I'd already been performing. I can't go back. It's like being sent down to the minors, you know? (laughs) And, uh, so I performed with this other theater out there for a little while. And then I had done everything in Boston. So I was like, well, I'll go to Chicago. I'll study in Completed Boston. Yeah. Check. Check it off. (laughs) I moved here to do improv and go to social work Were you from Boston? I was raised in the suburbs of Chicago. You were raised in Chicago. Yeah. Then went to Boston for... For college, and for I college. stayed out there for some years afterwards. Okay, and then you came back to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And you said you were going to school I was going to social work school. Social work school. And I, for a semester, I did that. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I did not want to be a social worker, and instead no, I wanted to depressing. do comedy. That is depressing. And I was also taking improv classes. And then I realized I didn't want to do improv ever again. Where you, where did you take classes? Second City? Second City, yeah. Is that the only place? Yeah. And they taught you out of it. I just... I I mean, by that time I had taken classes in Boston. And I had taken classes here. It's really hard to be a... This is... It's really hard to be a gay performer and do improv in long-form settings people don't know what to do with you I felt really weird all the time because people either want you to be like super gay Mm -hmm. or they want you to like you have to yes and giving somebody a blowjob you know you either have to like yes and something that doesn't make any sense a lot of a lot of the lower level long form improv is all like dating relationship based like every scene is like Mm -hmm. So you feel like that's a really interesting perspective. There wasn't. It's a ton actually, of... you know, your comment about are you comfortable with the yes and of giving a blowjob might just define whether or not you want to do improv. Yes, in general. exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't care who you are. Right. You can be a dude that's straight. You can be a dude that's, you, who, that is that is the marker for entry. And I just was standing but, so up there going like, like, I can't believe this is. I'm like. 25 I'm an adult you know trying to figure out what I want to do with my life and I know it's not this I'm wasting my time is that is your view about that um like is there a consensus about that as far as not consensus but is that like a common thought that like it's hard for you know gay people to like be used in improv correctly or there's I, like I mean I'd be interested to see if if anybody ever that was listening wanted to respond but I will say that I know men I know like gay men who really like it and stick with it um but most of them have also created their own side projects most of the gay women that I know have stopped doing improv and this is a conversation for I've that had same with kind them. Yeah. of reasoning yeah just like it's weird 
because it always ends up kind of being about sex in a weird way and that and that there's like not or like gender roles yeah yes it's like either it always ends up being about sex or like This is gonna. This is also gonna be really. So, like, high status and low status are mm. necessary in a lot of improv scenes, and I think that it's really hard for um, a lot of men. Not all men, but I think it's hard for a lot of men to be low status to a woman, like to allow the woman to steer the scene. And I think a lot of gay women just naturally have a stronger. Not a lot of, but that there are gay women who are high status because we're, like, I consider myself that type of a person. I'm, I'm like, high status in the relationships that I have, too, you know, mm-hmm. when I date people. And that's true of a lot of people, that they are the same way in interpersonal relationships that they are on stage. This is, like, a very long-winded answer. But, like, no, I think basically, like, lesbians thing. are too dykey. <laughs> like, we can't be... Like, nobody puts baby in a corner. It's... But... It's like a... It's the same kind of dog. It's like mm-hmm. two alpha dogs fighting. But what about... Um, so, what about, like, the separate but equal approach? Like, what about if, like, gay performers improvising together? Like, does that work I mean, work that better? exists. That exists. But I also think that like that's not really reflected of reflective of my life either. Right. Um, I mean, I don't exclusively perform stand up in gay clubs, and I most of my friends are actually not gay. Like I, I have a ton. I have gay friends, mm-hmm. but I have mostly straight friends, and so that felt weird to me too. Like going and then just like joining some. Do you know what I mean? Like the. Because that's not what my life yeah, is like. Yeah, I get that. I don't like. I don't. And that's why those you know, why separate but equal ideas never work. Yeah, it's it's not reflective of my world, and so it was just kind of weird. I'm sure that eventually. I mean, it's there is a I, way to deal with it. It might be. I think it says more about. It might say interesting things about how improv is taught and works, or just how people interact. Yeah. More than anything else. And it's not that people were uncool to me or like that anybody was rude or weird. It was an it was a it was like a mechanical thing. Right. And um yeah, it just didn't feel right. But in stand up it, it the same thing is not true. So but you could have gravitated towards sketch. And again, that's sort of the same thing where I guess I just feel like Oftentimes, an improv group or a sketch group doesn't realize that they are all coming at the world from a similar worldview. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, we accidentally are all... We're all black people that were raised in the South, or like, we're all Asian and like... I mean, I don't know. Right. There are definitely are mixed groups, but... Even in the and it doesn't have to be race. It, it might could be, be like, like an ideological. Kind yeah, of thing. it could be ideological. It can be socioeconomic. It could be whatever it is. But like, you have to be able to sort of get where somebody's coming from in order to make art with with them. But you don't have to get where somebody's coming from to make art for somebody or to watch art. That's mm-hmm. what I think. So, I think like an all gay sketch group or or a mixed sketch group. 
I've just I've seen that. I've seen what that looks like, and it it hasn't hit home for me either. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just my like. Think about bands too. It's the same thing for bands. Everybody has bangs, or everybody doesn't have bangs, you know. And you have a side mullet. And I have a side mullet, yeah. Which you have made a very important part of your identity. <laughs> it's true. Would you like to talk about that at all? I'm sure you get asked questions about that all the time. Is there something you want to say about that? <laughs> you know, um, I just think it's funny that people are. I've I've said a lot of things on stage. I've had a lot of different show titles and like album titles and stuff and people really are into it. People are like <laughs> people really want to talk about this. Not mm-hmm. like not this question, I just mean like in general. I can't believe how just like titling the show that has been something that people really respond to. And like I made little buttons with my hair on them and stuff and people are like mm-hmm. uh vibing it for I mean I think it's, you know, obviously it's this is not this haircut in this neighborhood is not crazy. Like a lot of people are doing. How much has cutting your hair like that changed your life? That's uh, the actually real a lot. I know that sounds really crazy, but it has. I I feel like I f- I have like this whole identity that really fits for me, but I didn't know what it was until I got this haircut. Crazy. Are you described as the lesbian with the side mullet? Like, is that how? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Maybe. I mean. People have told me that they have gone to their hairstylist mm-hmm. and like asked for this haircut. <laughs> the side mullet nation haircut? Yeah. I actually had or a hairstylist who came and was like, <laughs> somebody asked me for your haircut because she comes to Kohl's. And then I felt like a hero. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till they get your haircut tattooed on their I know, body Jesus permanently. Christ. Haircut, that's temporary yeah but yeah you're right you're right tattoo Tattoo. of a haircut on your head that's shaved let's just put that challenge out there yeah somebody's gotta do it (laughs) well i feel like it's you know it's like the hip thing as much as anything like the hip kind of like urban whatever that means it's definitely what i'm talking about on stage falls in that category i also think this is totally a haircut you can have when you grow up in the suburbs you know, you got to rebel at some point, right? Yeah, I had a, sort of that haircut at one point Did in my you? life. Not exactly, but definitely. How did you feel when you had it? Kind of powerful? I was, I was in high school. I felt terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, did you feel... When you went on stage the first time after you cut your hair, did it feel different? I it was like a gradual progression, and I talked about it the whole time. <laughs> you slowly, like, like I first the... got bangs. I just had like really. I, I saw got... some of the videos on your site where you had long, like all long hair. Yeah, I first got bangs, and then I got like it was like a little bit fucked up, and then it was like super fucked up, and then it was like shaved on one side, and mm-hmm. um. Yeah, I think it's just, it's also like an invitation for people to interact. Yeah, that, but also just to kind of get ready for what's about to happen a little bit. Like, I don't feel like I have to prep people as much. Really? Yeah, because I, I dress like a little bit more punk rock 
I don't, I mean, that's like the dumbest, (laughs) but I don't know what I'm trying. Like I dress like a little bit more. I think what I'm presenting visually is more similar to what I'm going to say to people. And then people can like come along a little bit easier. They don't have to be like, right. Wait a minute. She's gay. Wait a minute. She's like lives in the city. Wait a minute. You know, like, uh, like anything that it's just kind of understood. A little so bit you think what's happening now is people in the audience, you like, you start talking about being gay and then they're like, well, she does have that side mullet. So, yeah. I mean, and also, uh, I mean, I guess I use the, the phrase gay actually more than I used to. I used to just talk about my girlfriend. Like I, cause I thought that was more interesting than yeah. making gay jokes. Um, or, like, say things like, I'm a lady who dates ladies. Like, just, like, things that are a little bit more, like, people have to think about what I'm talking about. And I do think that this haircut is another thing where people can just... Like, if I get on stage and I'm wearing, like, a three-piece suit and I have this haircut and you don't assume that I'm dating a woman, then what's going on with you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's hmm. interesting. <laughs> so... How did I think we we were talking about how you took the improv classes? Mm. You weren't really finding it to be the thing for you, and then you decided to do stand up instead of social work. Yes, it's the same thing, really. <laughs> and it's the same thing. So then, how did you start doing it? Uh, I was living at my parents' house, and I just started. I just approached this theater that had opened here in Chicago small black box theater and I just told them like listen I'm a stand up comic I'd done it one time before like at an open mic yeah, uh, like one book show in Boston one time and I was like listen I'm a stand up comic I would like to start a show here I'm gonna do great stuff for you guys and they were like sure and so I just started booking people so you hosted like sending them like MySpace messages like hey I have researched who's cool in Chicago, and you seem to be that person. So, I mean, I didn't say that. So but you started just putting together. I started just putting together and... showcases, yeah. But nobody knew who I was, and I didn't know really how to do stand up. I didn't even have a microphone at the show for like the first three, <laughs> literally for like the first eight months. But it kind of worked. Yeah, it kind of worked. And then you just sort of like worked your way through figuring out. Then did I you take any stand up classes? Actually, decided or... to start doing it. Okay. Um, no. After you were doing it. Right, yeah, exactly. It's probably the better way. Yeah, yeah. Now that uh, I'm doing this, I should probably decide if I'm doing this. Well, there's a, there's a, there is a difference. So when you first start doing stand-up, you think, oh, I'm doing stand-up, and you're doing it one night a week or one night every two weeks, and you're mm-hmm. like, hey, you know what I do? Stand-up. And then after a while, you realize that you need to do it three nights a week, five nights a week, or seven nights a week, or you're not. Yeah. Like, so, it's a progression. Okay, let's talk about that a little bit. Because, in a way, that's what, um, that's kind of what I think my, this podcast is all about. Lay it on (laughs) me. What is it? Well, this idea of, like, when do you decide this is something I'm serious about and this is something that I want to focus on and not be just a little hobby? Yeah. You know, I started, um, I was working for my dad and I was doing stand up a little bit at night 
and I, I had this woman I was dating at the time. This is like the weirdest answer it. to this. You're a lesbian. I no, get it. But yeah, yeah. Do you really? <laughs> Can I show you? No, I'm not going to show you. But no, I had this woman I was dating at the time, and she was not American. And this is like the longest answer, but it's going to make sense. And um, she had to return home from to the country that she was from. Her visa ran out. Was this and I was the like, South Yeah, African? she was South African, right. I was super brokenhearted. I was like devastated. And I was working for my dad, and my dad moved his office to the suburbs from the loop. So I didn't have a job, and I didn't have a girlfriend. And I had been doing this like hobby, and I also didn't really need to get a job for like a couple months. I had a little bit of money saved. And I that was when it changed for me, is because I... I didn't have anything else going on that I felt like, like I didn't have to get up in the morning. So there was no reason not to go out and things were kind of falling apart with this woman. And it was my closest community of people. Like the crazy thing about stand up is every night of the week, there is a place you could go where, you know, 30 people that are just hanging out there Mm -hmm. and it's an open mic, you know? And so I started really kind of guilting myself into like hanging out with more people, going out and doing more shows. And why do you say guilting yourself? Well, because I have a lot of guilt if I don't go and perform. Um, cause it's never, at the time it wasn't something I wanted to do. It was like something I thought I should be doing. Um, why? Cause open mics are really terrible <laughs> as a, like as a lifestyle. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, like says the person who hosts Wednesday open mic. My open mic is not terrible. Come to the open mic; it's terrible. Yeah, mine is not terrible. That's why it's like pretty fun. I also my my experience changed. Like now, I love going to open mics, and I used to hate it. Right. Because I don't feel as much pressure, and I also like can watch people and think like, that's really amazing what they're doing, even if it's really terrible (laughs) because it's because we're all just working on what we're doing. Like I'm really terrible sometimes. And so are other people. And it's cool to just see that and just know that it's still people doing their work. Mm -hmm. Like you can eat shit and that's still really progressive and productive. And that's kind of a cool thing to realize. But I didn't know that for a long time. I just thought I was like hanging out in the back of bars, watching people, you know, embarrass like, themselves. Like it was just depressing. Yeah, it was depressing when I first started, but it, I don't find that I don't find it that way anymore. What, do you? You said you go to open mics. Do you think it's depressing? Um, no, I don't think it's depressing. I think it's fascinating. I don't. I mean, I when I'm watching somebody who I don't really necessarily like mm-hmm. or think they're not making me laugh or or I'm just not um it's not even about that it's more like whether I respect what they're doing yes yeah 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 like, of course um because sometimes there'll be people that make you laugh and then you're like but I don't feel good about it yeah <laughs> I feel I don't know I feel like I am very kind of in my head about things so I'm always Try, kind of thinking like well, what are they doing and what what's their angle on this thing like how are they yeah how are they trying to be a comedian you know so that I'm like thinking about the mechanics a lot that when I first started I couldn't do that yet because I think it was there was like too much at stake 
mm-hmm. for me. Like I was too um, self-conscious about like my own, because it's kind of a weird thing to just decide to start doing because yeah, you're it's so elective. You know, you don't ever have to go. You're choosing to go. It's not a job at the beginning. You know, it's just like, no, I'm, I'm choosing to go make myself uncomfortable and do something that may or may not make people laugh. You know, it's right. And, and over time that has gone away. I'm not as like worried about that anymore. And so now I can actually really enjoy like the sociological and what, yeah, watching aspect of just watching people like take a chance. Sometimes a person's material, like maybe it's not working because it's not um, authentic or yes. real enough, but the fact that they're struggling is authentic and real. Yes. And so I find it interesting from that perspective too, of like watching a person trying to do this thing they really want to do and whether or not they're, whether or not I think they're good at it or not. Yeah. Like, that was my hands, by the way. My hands made a weird farting oh. noise. Anyway. See, more fully. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I can see other, I understand why there are some people who are like, with improv or stand up or, you know, anything, they're like, oh, I, I hate doing that. It's just because it's bad or I don't know. That, like, like, I know a lot of people, like, people hate a lot of people hate improv because they think, Oh, it's just bad. You know, like it's painful to watch sometimes. Yeah. And I'm like, well, maybe a, you've only not seen great improv and B you're like watching it the wrong way or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I mean, I guess that's what I'm saying is that I think the reason open mics are bad when you first start is because you, is because you feel so bad. But then after a while, like the only thing that ever bothers me, I mean, we we see sixty comics a week, and have been doing Coles for like two and a half years or something like that. So that's a lot of comics. Yeah. And I love it. Like I love watching people. And the only thing that ever bothers me are people that are doing inauthentic material, and also being aggressive or cruel. Like that right. combination is. I have no patience for that because. Everybody else at the mic is nervous too, and we have an audience, and we're nice people. Like my co-host Adam and I are trying to. I think I've seen Adam do like smush or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's the only thing. But like, if you want to go up and bomb, sometimes people like bomb, and then they'll come over and apologize to us, or <laughs> yeah. and I'm just like, I. It's like awesome. It's awesome that you're working it out like it's not supposed to be easy and it's yeah and it's and there's so there are so many different things to appreciate that aren't just like a killer set when do you feel like since you're hosting a fairly like well thought of open mic that that changes how people in the community think about you um yeah, actually, I do. I do. I think that because a lot of, you know, uh, stand-ups kind of, it works kind of in classes, like high school or college or something, where, like, people you start with, you all kind of progress along together. And 
Um, so Adam and I have been doing it for five years, and most of the people that are in our bracket um, don't host open mics. And you mean bracket of time of doing yeah, it? Yeah, bracket of time of doing it. Yeah, and like bracket of success. So it's like people that have been doing it for five years that are. Yeah, it's like a pack of people that are like all kind of getting the same things and it, making like, the same progress. Yeah, as exactly. Far as like opportunities and right. Um, and there's just less opportunity because you're like now I'm playing at clubs or I'm traveling around the country. Like you don't get a chance to really connect with people that are just starting out as mm-hmm. much. And that's actually one reason I really am glad that I've taught classes and that I do the open mic because. I mean, I love talking to newer comics about stand-up, and I think that that um, I think people respect that we spend our time like hosting the mic, and I respect people that come out and do it. And it's kind of like cool to have that. I don't know. It's like a it's like a little brother program or something. You know what I mean? Like a big, yeah. <laughs> and it, but it does feel like that. Like it feels like they're like our little like our little siblings that we're like trying to buoy up. And then people that come by that are our peers, that's just fun. It's just fun to hang out with them and have them and have them do shows. Like when people are in town that have moved away or, or right. whatever. But yeah, I do think it's like a totally different thing than if you're, if you're not hosting a mic. I hope if I ever go anywhere else that I have a chance to do it there too. It's pretty cool. What do you think about, Chicago as a stand-up city since you mentioned like um it's a great place to it's a great place to cut your teeth and to get strong because there's a myriad of of opportunities here and none of them will ever be seen by anybody important (laughs) (laughs) and that's actually a good thing right because um how I think about it I mean some people struggle for years in New York and then they make it you know or they struggle for years in LA and then they make it but I'm so glad that I got some of my struggling out of the way in a place where it feels like a community. It feels like a family and there isn't an industry to, I don't know, pass judgment. It's like you're, you're like a teeny little egg that's just warming. Like you're not ready for, you're not ready to be seen. And so it's really nice that you aren't, you're just seen by audience members. That's pretty great. I think it's the only city like that. It's interesting because I've, I've had people kind of say that same thing across multiple creative disciplines in Chicago. So I think it's, it's just something about the city because of it being a big city with a lot of ambitious people, but it's not the entertainment um, capital in the same way that New York or LA are. You've got, you've got the industry is you've got bodies, like you've got audience and you've got performers. So you've got people to compete with and people to push you and people, and you've got, you have businesses, like you have clubs and I mean, it's got everything. It just doesn't have industry. Mm -hmm. And you know, what industry does is takes your career to the next level, but also like, refines you and pigeonholes you and sells you. And so it's like, it's like refining your product without having to worry about selling it yet. So how would you like to be refined? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, 
It's a weird question. Yeah, like, it's totally weird. I like saying it that way. Yeah, How would you cool. like to be refined? I think it would be better out of context. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to remember that one. One of those rock tumblers that you can get as a kid <laughs> from the catalog. Um, I just, you know, have you... Have you ever seen somebody that's been doing stand-up for like 25 years or 15 years um, in a smaller venue? Have you ever seen that? I mean... It would be like seeing Stephen Wright in like a teeny theater. Yeah, I mean, I saw Mark Maron when he played at... um, Just recently when he was at Main Stage. Yeah. That's not a huge place. Right. Um, But even that's kind of big. So the reason I ask that is because um, I think when the pressure is that, like, light, I mean, a smaller space is always, not always, but most of the time, less pressure. Um, Or more intimate, maybe, is the word I'm looking for, more intimate. And I think the awesome thing is, like, watching somebody who's been doing it for that long, and they just just know how to talk in jokes. I can't wait to get to that point. Mm -hmm. But you can't jump over. You just have to get there do you think a lot about what what kind of process do you use to refine your stories um well i was telling really felt i really felt like when you were hosting the tj miller thing yeah it you were talking about some stuff that was like very current like things it seemed like you were genuinely just like, this happened to me today. I mean, that or, is what I do. Yeah. And I would think if you're doing all these open, like hosting all these kind of things that that's going to have to happen. And that's probably part of what's great about it. Yeah. Um, and you know, you know how to like find the joke, but then I'm sure with the stories that you tell over and over again, you kind of like craft it a little bit or figure out like, Oh, here's where the joke is right. in this story. But one thing I, and this is a little bit of a different question, but I just want to ask before I forget how, when you do stand up and it's all about kind of like telling personal stories and like with a humorous slant, does that mean, do you, does it feel like you have like a really, do you have a really interesting, funny life or is it just like, could anyone apply that to, I think there is this sense of like people, like when you tell a story about um, like on your website, there's this video of you performing and then there's also an animation of it and you played it at the show. But yeah. So anyone listening can watch this of yeah. where you're outside Berlin and some guy falls and he's hurt and then some funny like scenario happens. Right. And it's from, it's a true story. Um, but it's, it's like a, like the thing that happened in itself is funny. Yeah, I guess. But it's also that you're telling it. And I wonder if there are probably some people who would think I could never do that because nothing that interesting happens to me. And I would wonder what your response to that like is that bullshit? Yeah, I do think that is bullshit. No, like as I'm just an observer. Like are you I don't know what kind of person you, I'm the kind of person if I walk down the street um, I'm just, I am constantly aware of everything that's going on. Like I'm aware of the person who's on the other side of the street and like the headphones that they're wearing and what, what mm-hmm. song they're listening to. Like I don't have a great, um, experiential filter. So the reason I say that is because like 
stuff happens and I notice that it happens. And I also see things and then I like to comment on them. Like that's just my life. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing as it's just my brain. It's the same thing as like when I'm saying going to the movies, like I love this idea of like, are you seeing what's going on here? Like that is what stand up is for me a little bit is like having the experience, but then framing the experience and then pushing it away and then like commenting on it. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what my stand up is. And I think everybody could do that. It's just not everybody's brain processes things that way. And that's totally, that's totally okay. But yeah, I think it's like what I've always done since I was a little kid. There was this, um, moment. I had this realization when I was like, yeah, I went to school for art and you know, I, I was always like creating things, you know, doing projects or make creating objects and things. And I always, to me, like, I was always concept driven more than uh, medium driven. So I'd have some idea and then depending on what the idea was, execute it different ways. And I remember kind of realizing that everybody has these kinds of ideas, but some people they're like, you know, what's funny is blah, blah, blah. And they like make some little joke or something and then they stop like everybody tells funny stories about their life. Everybody realizes like these weird, funny things that happen and tell their friend on the phone, but they just don't think to like get in front of a bunch of people and and do that, you know? But it's also about different skills, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're, I, the, I, there's a whole skill set in that gap between the imagination and the creation that you're talking about. Because, because um, that means like you have to have some level of self-trust and like self-esteem and also some level of like of willingness to fail. And also, you know, there's just a bunch of different things that are in there. And I don't know, sometimes people ask me like, do you ever get stage fright or like, how could you do this for a living? And it's just, I mean, You're like, no, I am inhuman. Yeah. I, actually, I don't get stage fright. You don't fright. get stage fright at all? Only if I know something really huge is on the line. And then it's not really about the, it's about judgment. Like it's, I, right. I get like an audition sometimes can bother me, but I don't ever mind talking in front of people. It's never bothered me. It's just like, that's what I, that's what like and my guess, little human, think, that's what I was yeah. created for, you know? And I think that goes back to what I was saying about the comfort. I remember when I, when I saw you at the, um, beat kitchen, I just remember thinking immediately thinking she is like, I like her, you know what I mean? Like I just immediately felt like I like this person and I think, and I I like listening to her tell her stories or, you know, she's funny. Like I immediately had this like sense of, um, Like I, I was aware of that, you know, and I feel like probably that happens to a lot of people when, when they see you, they probably like, do you have people come up to you after who feel like, like they want to be your friend? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And I mean, also like, I really do want to talk to people from the stage and like sometimes people are bothered. Yeah. Sometimes people are bothered by that, but like, I really want to chat to people and it's like my I mean I feel like I'm like supposed to be there so I think that that's I think people feel that they feel me feeling that and so then I think that that that, that they feel like they're supposed to be where they are you know and not in like a 
I don't mean like you're supposed, I just mean like, I think we're all doing what we're supposed to be doing and like we can work together to make awesome stuff happen. And, um, I mean, I think people notice that and, and they do come up to me afterwards and, and say stuff about it or, or want to chat or like send me Facebook messages. They want to, you know, go on a date or like, do you get a lot of weird kind of like internet, um, propositions? You know, I used to tell this story about how uh, my ex and I had dated together. We had dated this girl. We had dated at the same time. Yes. Okay. Like we had like, the plot thickens. Yeah, we had like dated this third girl, and I used to tell the like stories about it on stage, and that was really funny because people would take that, and I don't even know if people She's interested in polyamorous relationships i don't even know if people were aware of what was going on for them like i'm sure for some people they were and then for some people they weren't but people would say the craziest stuff to me after shows and i would get like facebook messages i had this guy like send his wife over and she was talking to me for a while i couldn't figure (laughs) out what was going on and then she was like casually mentioning like that they have a really expensive bathtub a lot like it was very strange (laughs) because uh I was just saying, like, and also, this didn't work. So the upshot of all these stories was, like, I made this stupid, I, like, did this stupid thing one time, and it totally didn't work, and, like, was completely idiotic. Mm-hmm. And all these people would come on and be like... Remember that we that Like, we think thing? you're, like, pretty into this thing. And I'm like, no, I'm, like, pretty not like, into that thing. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you also, um, at comedy bar told the story about staying with people who yeah were swingers yeah that's true i did yeah and how you were a little disappointed that you didn't get i know i know so you're being a little i know i know but then i say i'm not into it it. i said i wouldn't have been (laughs) right but it's kind of like it's kind of like even if even if you're not gonna go to the party it's nice to be invited that's what i'm saying Yeah. Yeah, yeah so no that is just silliness too that was such that was that yeah, swingers. It's all happening. <laughs> it is. Um, there's a lot of other things I wanted to ask you about, but we're kind of running out of time. I'm sorry. That's okay. I wanted to ask you about the circus. I work with the circus. What's the two-minute explanation of that? Um, there's a circus company here in Chicago. They run out of a warehouse building, and they're like punk rock tattooed acrobats that would perform a Cirque du Soleil and then when they're in Chicago or like that type of a circus mm-hmm. like not animals usually they're although occasionally um, and so we don't have animals and none of the people that I work with have animals people always ask that question so that's the answer to that um, but it's like they live in Chicago so when they're in between contracts they produce this show here in the city and it tours around to different cities in in the country. And also they teach classes and stuff. So I just, I'm their ringmaster for that circus, which is the coolest job in the (laughs) fucking world. Cause they're all, um, you know, like gorgeous and really talented and they can do things like hang by their neck and I can't do that at all. Well, training. Yeah. 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 It's the 10,000 hour rule. I know. I tried to train with them for, for a brief moment after I had first gone on the road with them. And I was like, I'm gonna, I can do some stuff. I can like stilt walk and I can have, I can balance chicks on my shoulders and stuff, but. Like baby chickens? Uh, like chicks that are girls, like oh, women. Okay. Yeah. But baby chickens. 
the women balance baby chickens on there. Right. That's the next shoulder. It's the, the next, next level. Yeah. But yeah, the, apparently you have to work hard to be an acrobat. Mm. I didn't realize how hard. So that's that just happens intermittently. It's not like a regular. It's the first Saturday of every month. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, and, and where's that at? It's at this. It's it's called El Circo Chipo Cabaret. Okay. But yeah, it's at the Aloft Loft. The Aloft Loft. True. Interesting. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of that guy's name that took your picture. Monte Lamonte. Monte Lamonte at the Loft Loft. Yeah. At the El Circo Chipo <laughs> Cabaret. Um, so. I want to remind people about the things that you're doing. So besides the Coles open mic, I pulled up, I'm looking yeah. at your shows here. There's a million <laughs> shows. You are doing a something shows, yeah. every day. Uh, try to. Do you have a regular job on top of? No, I don't No, This is what I do. That's good. I know. So, um, I mean, I can't, you should even. just the comedy just bar. Go to the, the comedy side bar. Nation at the comedy bar on Thursdays till the till December fifteenth. Yes, and yeah. then hopefully so many people are going to come that it's going to be extended. Well, so hopefully, right? And that so you can go to comedybarchicago.com dot com to find out for that, or you can get there by going to therealcameronesposito.com. dot com. Yeah, who's this fake camera? For Esposito? a while, for a while, cameronesposito dot com got bought out from underneath me. I I now own it. Oh, but, you do. I owned it, and then and then a Ukrainian man bought it for a while, and then I got it back. <laughs> That's just the way these things work. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I I do want to ask you before we stop about where where you think this is all headed, because you you talked about how like we started talking about it a little bit when we talked about what did I say refining. Mm, yeah. What was it? It was a good phrase. Gonna, yeah, I Tumbling. can't remember what you said. How would you like to be refined? Yeah, yeah, that's what <laughs> you said. Like that was that. nice. What um, What do you want to do? What's your What's your end game here? I I wish I had a more specific answer than that. I just want to perform. I know that I don't want to write for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to be on stage. But the weird thing is, like, I could never have predicted that I would be in a circus. So every who when would I, when I yeah or like that I would do a storytelling show I just I mean what I'm trying to say is that it's been it's been a natural evolution like everything has kind of made sense right and so I don't know what the next things are that make sense because they don't make sense now I just think eventually they will so I'm just going to be on stage but we'll see how that ends up and but you like being here in Chicago you think Chicago's a uh, I don't think I'll be in Chicago forever. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly. Uh, forever is a long. I think twenty. I think twenty twelve is the is going to be the the, the end year. Yeah, the year that the I move world? out of here. The end oh, of the world. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So forever isn't that long. No, it's not going to be that long. Twenty twelve. Gearing up. I actually, man, I really hope people don't say twenty twelve. I like two thousand twelve. I went two thousand twelve. I went two thousand twelve. You know what? That's a really good point because nobody said 2011. They were flirting with the idea, and it was. But people really did say 2010. I didn't like that either. But I'm just saying that's interesting in and of itself. 2013, 2011 was your one year reprieve, I think, from people saying that. I think people are going to keep saying it. 2012. Why don't nobody's they say 2011? Why is 2011 different? I don't than... know, but do you, do you know anybody that says 2011? 
I don't like those people. I'll just I don't say even it's a know those. Statement. I've never even met. I've never heard anybody use that phrase. Mm. All right, and you, we have established that you're an observant. Yeah, I all I ever do is listen to people talk about dates. So, well, Cameron Esposito, it was lovely to speak to you. Thank you for spending the time here yeah. to do this. I'm gonna go watch the Bears. Oh, the Bears. Yeah. Are they playing today? Yeah, they are. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't usually care except that. Uh, the, oh man, I have one last little thing. What are you uh, saying? Over here. Hold on. Oh, nice. I have this little bell. I screwed up. What do you think of when you see a bell like this? This one wood paneled hotel that had a <laughs> like a Cupid statue in front of it that I stayed at one time with my friend yeah. when we were traveling through uh, Niagara Falls. And it was like a sweetheart's hotel and we thought it would be really funny to stay there. I was really, really dirty. And you had to ring a bell to get service? Yeah, we did. It's like one of the only times I've actually had to do that in a hotel. A lot of people have different different reactions to a bell like this, I think. For example, if you have competed in spelling bees, oh yeah, the sound of that bell, that means you spelled out. Yeah. That's the terminology they yeah, use, spelled right. out. That's right. And... uh so it's a scary sound, I would think, an intimidating sound. Yeah. For others, they probably worked a job where they had to respond when that oh, bell heavens. rang. That's Never. probably not good either. Um, but I knew when I saw this bell at Staples or wherever I got it, I just was like, I need that. I don't know why, but I need, I need a bell like that. Um, Can I hear it? You'll hear it in a moment because... Okay. The way I like to end the show is to let the guest have a final word, statement, oh, something wow. that's the end. And then there's a little music and then we're done. But um, so it's um, it's kind of a big deal. But it's no pressure. Okay. So I'm going to ring the bell and then you have to end the show and go. What? That was that? Was that? that was the, yes. Hey, well... Um... Thanks, guys, for coming to the show, and remember to tip your bar staff. Mm -hmm.